decoded. Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I'm delighted in this episode to be talking to Marcus Exel, one of the most experienced and forward-thinking angel investors in the early stage pre-seed seed space. Um, Marcus is an uh, investor in residence at Virgin, Virgin Startup, and he is also one of the uh, founders or co-founders of Up and to the Right, which helps startup founders to successfully create, build, and scale their startup. I think it's safe to say that in our conversation, we will be exploring using Marcus's insight, the difference between sort of good practice, good faith, angel investing, and perhaps not so much the other side of that and why there is an increasing divide, which obviously founder tech, um, the tools and its outlook is is part of and what he thinks about those changes. So Marcus, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. So let's, let's just get set the scene um, because you are not you know there are other obviously active angel investors but let's can you give us a feeling for how active you have been over the recent years what that timeline has looked like not necessarily you know not mentioning specific examples but just giving you like you know the volume per year kind of typical ticket that that just gives us a, give us a sense of that yeah i mean i i definitely wouldn't describe myself as anything near pro- prolific um you know uh I've done 30 investments over 10 years. So average is three a year. There's been some years where I didn't do any over that time, uh, particularly because if I was busy running a business, uh, you know, I did, I did, I got quite deep in, in a couple of businesses for uh, a time there. Uh, so, so, but I suppose that that's also partly because. I don't do venture investing. I mean, let's call it venture investing sort of broadly in the way yeah. that that all of the narrative and the science around it says that you should do it, which is, you know, these things work best on a power law. You know, if you get into enough of the right kind of deals, you're going to, you know, lose most of them, but you're going you're gonna to make your money on sort of the, you know, the one or two that, that sort of make, sort of escape velocity and go way beyond. So I think part of it is I'd like to get into it with founders, you know, and 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 find a way to help spend the time and enjoy and apart from anything, enjoy the journey. Yeah. So so I think that that probably me I mean I've got friends I've got friends who've done six hundred angel investments over a slightly longer period of time to, but they just go sort of at it hard. They might get you know, a little bit involved in one or two, but but they're just making a lot of bets. And, and that is that is you think they're just playing the numbers. They're playing they're playing the the odds and the risk and and the upside. And it's a volume game. But you're saying you're playing. Uh, it's, it's, there may be some of the same traits and some of the things you're looking for the same things, but you're playing a different kind of game in the way that you evaluate and ride alongside your startups. Yeah, and I I don't think that came from. I'm not sure it was even really a conscious choice at the start. I just started doing a few things um, and and started understanding the process. I clearly had no clue what I was doing when I started. What year was this? Just so that we had, is is this 10 years ago? It was 10 years, 2013. Okay. Um, 
I mean, you know, I, I just sold a business and uh, and people said, oh, you know, you sold a business and well, you should, I've got this person who's raising, you're, you're interested in tech. And, you know, you could say that that business was broadly in tech, it was a digital agency, but we did a lot of, a lot of software development. So you could say we were in tech, albeit it was a services business more broadly. Um, but then you start to meet people who are starting tech businesses. So I just... I just started um, investing um, because I'd met people and I liked them. I thought what they were doing was interesting and I wanted to learn more about it. Was that driven because SEIS enters around that time, doesn't it? it did, yeah, I didn't oh, I didn't know yeah. what SEIS was when I started. Um, right. The first founder I met and invested in, um, uh, he explained it to me. Right. So I didn't, I, did, I had no idea that it even existed at that point. But I mean, it was, you know, okay, it's, I was new and it was pretty new. So that's. Yeah. But, but, um, but it wasn't the motivation then as it is, again, for some of it, the tax rate that I mean, UK is blessed in such a bizarre way. Cause I don't think it was entirely thought through initially of how, how, um, how attractive it would make uh, angel investing. I mean, I know the recent increase of 250 from 150 was campaigned for and, you know, hard won and, you know, that's been great. But it doesn't sort of, what I'm saying is that you weren't motivated to think, how can I make, you know, make tax efficient investments? You, you right from the get go, were kind of going, I want to back interesting people. Is that correct? Yeah, de definitely. It's, and even today, I wouldn't, if I met a great founder who was doing something interesting and I wanted to go on that journey, the absence of SEIS and EIS wouldn't be a thing. So my, you know, my best investments, actually, none of them had any kind of tax break attached to them. And when you say, let's get into um, when you say go on a journey, because you said that a couple of times, like, what does that mean to you? And does do you have like a, a sense of the nodes on that journey from meeting that founder you know, either remotely or in person, what are the nodes that you go on that you enjoy and that for you indicate this is a really healthy and interesting and dynamic, you know, journey and relationship with the founder? Um, I think there's a lot of it. It has to start with values, I think. You know, um, I'd, I'd struggle with any founder who I met, even if I thought they were, smart and were creating a great business if i thought that they were just an ass to other people i i think i think to a certain extent it's it's a human thing at the start for me yeah so i couldn't go on those journeys i don't think i'd, I'd want to I'd, I'd want to spend time in their company so you'd walk away from something even if it was potentially you know, look, everything was lining up. If you met that founder and they just behaved in a way, in, in a human way that you thought, don't want to be going on this journey with this person, I don't want to be spending time with this person, don't want to be caught on calls or like, that, that, that's a, that is a, like a very important sluice gate for you. Definitely, definitely. And that, you know, it's down to the fact that to a certain extent, I can't, these things are so illiquid and uncertain that I don't really look at them as financial investments. Right. If I'm doing something purely financial, I'll just go to the market. Right. Um, so if if I'm if I was doing that, it would okay. They can create a business, but I don't. I don't. I'm not interested in the journey because of who they are. 
Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that that's always a big thing. I'll, I'll put my money into the stock market or, you know, other equivalent investments rather than do something that is going on a journey with someone I don't really like. Do, do you have, it's, I, I've, it's so rare to hear that. So it's always refreshing. Um, do you have a model like I, I talk about when I was running my accelerator, we, you know, we talked about founder market fit as a term, you know, and kind of modeled that in various ways. Do you have your own version of founder market fit? Cause I find it's very rare for an investor to be able to say, or not, to, not just be able to say what you've just said and make decisions like that, but be able to kind of then go, and this is what I look for. Once they get through that gate, this is what I look for in the founder. These are the traits. These are the behaviors that aren't obviously often aligned to product or revenue because the founder's not there um, yet. So could you give us a sense of like what founder market fit is for you, even if you don't use that term? Like what once, you, once you've got, actually, this is a decent person and I get the human values that are informing this. What what's the next bit? Uh, I think it's that interesting combination of I mean you've got to have resilience because it's it's the eternal roller coaster. Um, so I, I think c- c- because I'm I tend to get to know founders over a period of time. I don't tend to invest where there's like it's two three weeks to go. Yeah, um, you can come in this round. There's twenty minutes to make a decision. Yeah, I don't do those. So I tend to get to see how people operate and the kind of questions they come back and ask me, do they engage? Um, and, you know, when they've got a difficult thing going on, how do they respond in those moments? Do they reach out for help? Um, you know, Can they even articulate what help means? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, so I think the, um, I think it, it, it's a whole bundle of things. I, I've definitely... It's, it's become more of a limbic brain thing, I think. But, right. but I think, you know, you want people who are curious, who are prepared to, you know, to have strong, you know, strong opinions loosely held so that they'll, you know, they're not too dogmatic. They'll look at the data. They'll, they'll listen to others um, but have strength of opinion when needed that they'll, they'll, plow their own furrow they you know they've got a strong sense of what their path is what the right path is for them um uh but but you know they they won't they won't they'll they'll listen to the team they'll listen they'll take data from investors and then make their their own Mm -hmm. decisions i think that, that i look for that a fair bit um, is this is this all intuitively felt, or, or do you have in whatever notebook that you have? Do you have a, a grid? You know, you've just no, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't have any kind of grid at all, and and, and haven't had. Um, it's it's about a feeling I get from spending time with them, right? Okay, and and then so let's just keep going along the nodes of that journey. Sure. Let's say you've got through that. Do you have um, a portfolio preference? So do you have four sectors, let's say, that you're already vested in, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and you want to kind of 
you know, make further investments or sectors that sort of, you know, are on your radar that you want to explore. And then maybe things are on your periphery that are coming into your awareness. Do you have that? Or is it again, opportunistic in that you meet that an interesting founder, they display these values, they display these behaviors, this resilience, the tenacity, curiosity, and then it's like, okay, this is, they're exploring a really interesting problem or let's go to that third node of like, of, of the problem space. Sector agnostic. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in everything from, you know, deep tech, metaverse, to fintech, to subscription vitamins, to brain health. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, as, it's really broad. So, I mean, you really are walking, because some people might listen to the, yeah, Marcus, okay, great. Yeah, you just do things on the journey. You say no, but, but th- that's the proof in the pudding, right? This being sector agnostic. It, the only way that you would achieve that and have a you know a pretty relatively large to other angel investors, I appreciate there are some you know the up the far end of the chart, but I think relatively you know having made thirty investments and then say actually I'm, I'm my, there is no portfolio preference. It really does it really does you know speak to what you're saying that you're obviously meeting people, finding them interesting, hanging out with them, and then going from there as opposed to. The complete reverse of that, which we know happens all the time, which is send us your pitch deck. We'll look at it for five minutes. We might ask you about one question about who you are and why you're solving this problem, and you know, and pass or then put you through a grilling of projections that you don't have. When you see that behavior, given that you are behaving like this consistently, when you see that behavior in other investors, what do you think is going on for them? Because it's for the founders listening to this, obviously, um, and obviously we'll talk about this when we get to up and to the right. That, 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 that's the when they they encounter this all the, the time, the opposite behavior. What, what do you think is going on in investors, particularly uh, agile and angel investors, when they're behaving like that? No, I think it's so personal. You know, people have got so many different reasons for doing it. Um, some people want to use their specialist, and they're great specialist investors, right, in, in, in certain sectors and have certain ways of doing things who are really, you know, guys like Chris Adelsback. Um, I mean, he's a fantastic investor. He's great to deal with, you know, he's curious and, and he's a specialist. And I think people people are can be really lucky to have that on him. But, you know, you know, Chris will have his own thesis about kind of why he's doing it, how he's doing it and, and, and have his points. So I think, I, I think it's as broad as it is long and the, the, people have so many different reasons for doing it um, that I think, you know, I, I would never say that my way was right for anybody else. Of course, of course. Um, uh, so so what's, what's going on in their head? I think that everyone's trying to make good decisions both for, you know, what return they're going to get um, and and how they're spending their time. But why do you think this, this, this construct, this framework that has been around for so long of the evaluation via the pitch deck, which, which drives so many early stage founders bananas, right? And, it, and not just in a glib way, it can affect their health and, you know, drags deals along and just creates friction that isn't adding value why do you think that still is in play what, what's going on there what informs that because your approach is very different but the it is fair to say the majority of people 
who are, you know, will, will adhere to that other approach still. And obviously that's where this, this, these conversations are hopefully part of that change. But why does that still linger about? I'm not even going to call it like bad faith investing. I just say it's like inefficient practice. Why do you think that's still so prevalent? Well, but, I mean, pitch decks are, you know, that it's a hard one, right? Because um, they're imperfect, but they are a common currency. Yeah. So it allows, if you see a lot of, things it gives you some kind of immediate way of comparing how the founder might think versus other founders but it's more than anything it's it's often just a you know that first thing and then you want to get in into the conversation i think it's i think it that's at least partly based on where the institutional investors how they have to operate because of you know they have to you know they have a greater imperative in terms of making returns to their investors that they've got to get into the best deals. And sometimes they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to make um, faster decisions to get into the best deals because quite often in their space, that'll be maybe slightly more, they'll be more oversubscribed and there's more competition for getting into the best deals. So I think that that trickles down as a way of doing things. Yeah. Um, and I understand you know, I understand why that happens and why it drives um, the broader approach in the market. Um, but I think, you know, for me, I've got, I don't have any of the constraints of having to put in a certain money in over a certain period of time. So I don't, right. I, I don't, you know, I'll just, when I meet a great founder, I'll see whether we're going to go on that, journey for a bit together you know to get to know each other and see whether we're we're right for each other and i'm certainly looking to make sure i've got enough time to know them and then me to know that that it's going to be the right thing for both of us and what sort of ticket size is your average we didn't we didn't get to that at the beginning what do you sort of yeah typically invest once the founders you have got got to this point what, uh, and, uh, and and then do you have a preference like as equity or an advanced subscription agreement? Again, like what's the what's, what's the size and the mechanic? Uh, I mean, typically my check sizes is if I average it out and there's there's different check sizes across, but if you average out, it's about 25 to 30K. Yeah. Um, um, in terms of construct, I don't really have a preference. I think I'm, I'm trying to... Do everything I can for the fundraising. If I'm if I'm coming in for the fundraising to take as little effort as it possibly can for the founder. Right. So you're trying to minimise the 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 drag in the deal because once you've got to a point where you will write that check, you just want to you just want that the capital to go to work because you've got through you've gone on this journey with them and you're confident. And you're willing to take that risk. Is that is that right? So when you're at that moment, it's like let's just get on with it. Yeah, I just want them to have their time back, work on yeah. the business. Because um, I've yeah. been, you know, I've been on the other side raising money, and it's, you know, it's, it's not a lot of fun really for most people. I mean, I know founders who do like see it as sport, but then some of them, you know, I think I've met three people like that over time who sure remain nameless. Yeah. Me, me too. Yeah. Two of them didn't need the money, and the other one was a bit of a lunatic. So yeah, I think we met the same people, Marcus. Because I, I, 
people would say this. <laughs> I'd say the same, exactly the same thing. Well, okay, so this leads on to founder tech, right? So like this idea that actually speaking to all of this, yeah. there are these new tools the smart founders are using to make capital go further and be more efficient. And actually there's, for, for an angel investor like you, there's actually, you're increasingly going to look to founders who are using these tools to achieve more with less fractional teams comes up now um, in this in this series more. So do you see that? Do you value that? Do you see that starting to kind of creep in where founders are just, you know, leveraging these tools and particularly younger ones, are just completely normal for them to use these tools in this way? Do you, do you, have you started to see that um, in the founders that not only you've invested in, but I'm assuming there's a whole bunch of ones that you talk to that you don't invest in? Are you seeing that shift? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, people have got plenty of founders who use Notion as their operating system in the business. Yeah. Um, and integrated right across everything that they do. Yeah. Um, so I'm finding a lot of founders finding that powerful. I think you've got great platforms like Odin. Yep. Uh, I'm, you know, in which I'm an investor. You know, the, the work that Paddy, Mary, and, and 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 the team are doing there, I think is fantastic, and I'm seeing that that popping up in all kinds of deals. Um, Do you like SPVs? Special purpose vehicles for those who, who, who don't know what that is. You know, as as a deal mechanic, do you like do you like what that does? Um, well, I, th- I think um, I think it can be helpful for founders in terms of just simplifying cap tables. I mean, yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not a special, especially a participant in syndicates, um, but but if uh, I, I do support it, really strongly support it as a way of of making it easier for for founders to pull everything together, um, you know, into sort of, you know, make cap tables a little bit cleaner. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's been really good. But I think that, um, I mean, honestly, I, would, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fascinated that Odin pops up on so many deals now. Are you seeing that yeah. like more and more? more you are yeah. people just flicking you their Odin link yeah. and say, this is how I want yeah. to do it. Um, and that's obviously shortening time as well. That is speaking to what you just said before. One of the attractive things about that is the speed and the way the capital is deployed via those vehicles compared to traditionally, you know, and traditional due diligence and traditional sort of equity models. That that that's got to be one of the benefits, right? Of of, of all of that. Definitely. And then I've got I've got investment in Tom at MVPR, which is connecting, yep. you know, startups in particular, startup founders directly to journalists. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of the different things that journalists needs to, to be able to, you know, feature companies knowing when they're, they're calling out for certain articles without the need for sort of PR agency account managers and things like that. So, um, Tom's been on the podcast. I spoke, I've, I've spoken to him many times. I think, yeah, they're what they're, they're brilliant example of founder tech. And, Tom, and, you know, Tom's an exceptional, uh, an exceptional founder. Yeah. I got to know Tom over, you know, in an extended period of time and, you know, uh, did what I could to, and I think that's the other side when I, when I'm making a decision about going into business, I've got to feel that, that they're going to get something out of me other than just the money. Can I help them? Because I think, you know, for most people raising, it's, it's nice to have a, you know, 25 to 30 K check secured, let's say, um, 
but me on my own, I'm not. I'm, I'm unlikely to move the needle. So I'm always looking to see if if I'm not the person to really help them, who who might be. What do you think about the terms that we're starting to use of like not as that you're you and it's what you're describing as like being a co-pilot. You're not, you're not, you're not the co-founder. You're not the person driving it, but you're trying to add value in a, not just in a, in a, again, in like a, like a, a, as a, as a header, I add value, but actually genuine add value. How much of that sort of behavior, which you can talk about is like, when you're assessing yourself, are you going, am I a co, I'm, I'm sure you don't use that term. You know, like you're, it sounds like you're using those criteria. Do I add genuinely add value? Do I bring something? Is that, that's, it sounds like again, from your side of the table, something you're asking yourself as well. I'm, I'm, I'm very wary of the notion that, that, you know, you can do huge amounts when you're not in the business every day. Yeah. Um, I think how I set myself up is, I suppose, is to be a safe space when things are hard. Yeah. You know, to be the a sounding board, feedback. Yeah, just, or, just or even just somebody. Yeah. What, what I find is with a lot of founders, actually, even when things are really tough, they have the right answers. And and all they need to do is share what they're thinking in a safe space to to give themselves the confidence to to take the decision that they've already thought of. Yeah, and that's part of the mindset that you were talking about that 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 founders operating in such uncertainty and such complexity and so many sort of competitors or also people they can integrate with, they have to have that mind that can adapt and sort of, you know, um, furrow their way through these things. And I guess like you're saying, if it all, all sometimes a really good founder needs is, is someone taking the time to, for them to input, you know, employ those, those skills and insights and resources that they may have. And, and, and so, so you, so, so you play that sort of, or not paternal role, but you know, you know what I'm saying. You're perverted. Someone can pick up the phone to you, one of your investees, and say, "Listen, I'm this. I this has gone really badly, or you know, what do you think of this opportunity? Or this this person's coming to the team's not working. Do you make sure that they know they can talk to you in that way? Absolutely, absolutely. I go out of my way to do that, but right. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't. What I would never do is presume that I can really make a difference. I think what I would always say is I'm I can be there to help, and then we can decide as we go along what kind of difference I can make. There's got to be some kind of assumption that that I can add something, but the idea that that as an investor you are really going to be the difference, you know, compared to all of the things that the founder and the team and everybody are putting in. Um, but you want to you want to think that you can. There's some things that you can help with. And this is, is this the motivation to up and to the right? Is this, is this what you're sort of, a lot of the things we've discussed, is that why you've launched that? And do you maybe want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the motivation with up and to the right is we were, we were helping a lot of founders anyway. And that one of the things we're looking to do with up and to the right is, is I suppose over time is to productize at least a little bit what we're doing with when we're mentoring, coaching, advising founders is to scale some of the advice that we would give if we were in person. I think I think it's always going to have, you know, some kind of chatting to founders component, but trying to trying to scale some of what we do um, uh, with with 
help that team get when they're not with us is was the motivation because therefore we can help more founders. Um, but but it you know it's it, it it's an emergent thing. I think we thought at the start we could we could probably and maybe we can over time productize even more of it. But I think that that what we're finding is that our greatest impact is in person with with the right content wrapper around it. When you say we, can you just give us? A yeah, sense well, it's it, it's me, uh, me and my business partners, Nick and Andy. Um, yeah, Nick has been my business partner for the best part of twenty three years on on the different businesses that that, that we've run. Um, and Andy sort of uh, joined us. Um, he is uh, um, he's a mergers and acquisition specialist. So actually, we do help founders exit as well. We we do that through another brand that's part of the business called Endeavor. So, you know, we, we we can see people through their early stages and sort of out the other side to exits as well. So um, that's the sort of the construct of the business. Um, but but it's motivated by just, you know, there's a lots of things that go on with up, up to the right for founders at that early stage, not least where we've made the mistakes before or we've seen the different paths that people could take. Um, and it's just trying to use that experience we have to to um, to point people in the right direction. And is that now the first port of call? So if a, if a founder is listening to this and they want to get um, in contact with you, obviously we'll post this on LinkedIn and they can reach out to you there. But is that a good place for them to start, to start to understand maybe in more detail some of the ideas that we've just touched on here and see if they like that approach, see, see if they like what you're saying? Um, is that is that the, a good place to start, or is there, a, or would you like, rather they just reach directly to? You? Yeah, they can. I think they can do it any any which way. I mean, uh, the the website is u2r.co. Um, they can also sort of connect on. I post daily on LinkedIn components of that advice that that we give. Um, they can reach me on on LinkedIn. It has to be said that these days, my LinkedIn inbox is. Uh, I've got to do a bit of sorting out with because it's um, I get so much incoming through that that it, it's, yeah. it's a bit difficult to catch up with. Um, but but if they ping through u2r.co, that's that's um, a channel that we've probably got better managed these days. And just before we sort of wrap up, let's say what well, let's let's just talk if if there's a, an angel investor that is looking to get into the space. Um, for the first time, what would you say to that person? What, what, what sort of again, like, where would you point them to in terms of tools, approaches, you know, how to sort of evaluate founder? Like, like a general, like, if, if there is starting to be a sea change between an old style of investment and a new style of investment, what would you, where would you tell that person to kind of steer towards and steer away from? If you had some advice for that person listening, look, I love, I, I love uh, Andy Iams Angel Investing School. Yeah, I think I think he does a really good job of of talking pre people through the different reasons they should think about doing it. Um, but but he because he and he spends a lot of time with founders, he understands it from the other side as well. And and I think he's creating you know this great wave of of informed angel investors. That um, 
are going to be more helpful to founders. And I think, I think I think of angel investing in the way that I think of networking. It's not about how many people you could meet or how many people you can invest in, but just start. The best way to start is actually not by investing, but just finding people to help. Yeah. Use your skills. Think about the skills you've got that might be useful to a founder. And then whether that be through networking events, you know, the various online communities or, or whatever, find just find people that, that, that might be able to use your skills and, and, and do that before you decide to commit money to it. Yeah, so to take take the time to understand where you add the, the this t- particular type of value that you you've been talking about, if you if you want to be that kind of investor, and you want to have the pleasure of the journey rather than just be spreading risk, you know, and and and, and it being volume, actually taking the time to kind of think where where do I in what environments in what communities do I could I add value potentially and meet interesting people where I can have that conversation sounds like. It's, a lot of these things are so so much common sense, but they get really employed or done particularly well. And I, I think, is that what you're saying? Like, if you're sitting here now thinking, oh, I'm really, really, uh, I use early learning for some reason all the time in the podcast. I'm really, really, uh, I really understand early learning, you know, um, in, in, in kids. Yeah. Go, out, go and hang out in those communities where investors or there's events around early learning and just start talking to people and see if you can actually over a few months actually add some value to a few conversations and then from there the opportunities will flow is rather than trying to target that space strategically or from a financial perspective is that what you're suggesting as a kind of a, as a, a more of an emergent um, methodology rather than a kind of a precise and tactical yeah and i think i would always encourage people to rather think about what businesses they want to invest in to think about what kind of people they want to invest in. Yeah. That that's that's a really no one said that on the on on the podcast, but it's it's such a lovely way of saying it. It's such a such a such a sort of succinct way of like because you're even though you said you know you, you sort of downplayed oh I can't shift the dial a lot. Every time I have heard it said that every time you make an investment, you're making a bet on the future that you want to have. Yeah. And so, so, so if every time you're backing a person, you're you're making a bet on them producing the future that you want. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a lovely place to finish. Um, it's I, I really really appreciate. It. Like it's very very different sort of uh, uh, approach, but it is one that I think is um, central to founder tech because what what it does is more and more what's being emphasised is are the relationships, right? The human qualities become more and more valuable as technology can kind of amplify and mediate, you know, you know, we've been talking a bit about um, on on the first show with Joe Lewin from Foundy, like the, you know, more and more people are around the idea that one solo founder might get to a unicorn status, not, not that that's the be all and end all, but it's, it it exemplifies this sort of like founders can do a lot less, uh, sorry, a lot more with less. And so to add to it, so the, 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 the relationship between the founder and the investor at that early stage has to be driven by these values because what else have you got to go on, I guess, is the, the, the way to sum it up. And it, 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 at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's about them. I'm not the one. Yeah. I'm putting in a small check and giving them a bit of help. They're the one trying to change yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Marcus, for sharing that perspective. I think it's super interesting, super useful, um, like I said, for both founders and, and uh, investors. Um and yeah, and I'll obviously put the links um, in the in the post to 
to you and up and to the right and uh, and and other things that you're involved in that may be relevant that we can discuss and put in the show notes so thank you for your time i really appreciate it thank you